I just want to take a moment to thank a sponsor of our Youth Leadership and Pre-Employment Program, RBC Foundation. Thanks to the funding they provide, we were able to hold our Youth Leadership Weekend last year, where we brought together youth from all over the province for a weekend of learning and community. Thank you, RBC Foundation. Welcome to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast where seeing things differently inspires limitless possibilities. The Limitless podcast was created in order to inform, educate, entertain, and share stories from within the blind and partially sighted community that show that the opportunities for those who are blind or partially sighted are truly limitless. And now, it is my pleasure to introduce you to your host, the founder of Blind Beginnings, Sean Marcelet. Welcome back to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. I'm your host, Sean Marcelet, and I'm so grateful that you're joining us again this week. Today, we're talking about traveling when you're blind, but we're not talking like traveling down the street. We're talking about far, far away hours on some sort of vehicle to a new place that you're not so familiar with. And my co-hosts today are Randy and Keisha. Welcome back to the podcast. Why, thank you. Lovely to be back. And welcome back to Canada, Keisha. Ooh, thank you. Speaking of travel. Also lovely to be back. (laughs) Um, Partly why I thought this was a fitting topic was because you've just been on some adventures. So why don't we, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, Randy and Keisha, why don't you remind our listeners your level of vision and maybe why you wanted to talk about this topic. Hello, I'm Randy. Um, I'm on the high end of the visually impaired spectrum. So with my glasses, I have about 20, 30% vision. So I'm not considered legally blind um, because that is measured with your best correction. And I'll maybe save exactly how I found this topic, but I accidentally came upon a an interesting blog online and I said, hey, Sean, Hey, Rob, I think this would be an interesting topic. Awesome. And uh, I'm Keisha. I have retinitis pigmentosa, pretty much just light perception at this point in my life. And I love traveling. It's exciting. It's terrifying. It's exhilarating. And as Sean just said, I just got back from uh, a trip to Vietnam, actually. So I'm I'm really excited to to hear our our guests' take on on travel because I feel like I, I had a really good time. I learned a lot, but I feel like I have a lot to learn. <laughs> mm, yes, yes, for sure. Okay, so well, I guess for for Ted's sake, um, I also have RP and have about light perception. Pretty much, that's what's remaining at this point. Uh, I've traveled quite a bit too. I was a, a Paralympic athlete, so got to do a lot of traveling for sport. Um, not as much traveling for pleasure as I would like and would love to do more. And yeah, it's very, I've done a little bit of solo traveling in Europe, um, which is interesting, especially in a country where maybe English isn't their first language and I don't speak their language. So I'm really excited for this conversation, but we're just leaving all of our guests in suspense here. So Randy, tell us about our guest and how you found him. Well, uh, for everyone listening, we have our our guests here today silently waiting with bated <laughs> breath to be brought into the conversation. Um, his name is Ted Tequechi, and according to the blog he runs called Blind Travels, he was fully sighted and had an interesting career prior to a car accident that took most of his vision at the end of the 90s and has since been doing lots of traveling 
uh, both with a cane and then with a guide dog. And now we're here today because I was trying to find a very specific video um, from this UK influencer named Lucy Edwards. She went, she's a blind woman and she went on a safari in Africa um, and has a BBC documentary video about it. And I was trying to find her new one about going to Japan. And I accidentally came across this blog called Blind Travels. And so here we have Ted. Welcome, Ted. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. So, Ted, do you mind telling us a little bit about your vision? What What is your level of vision? When did you lose your vision? How old were you? Absolutely. And let's see, I started with uh, vision problems when I was about four years old and I was diagnosed with uh, Coates disease, which is a fairly rare eye disease of uh, with the swelling of the blood vessels behind the eye. And um, they uh, they meaning Stanford uh, cured it, uh, you know, and it, it kind of left me with, you know, stable vision pretty much for my whole life. Um, I had some scarring behind the eye and that sort of stuff from the the initial curing. Um, but you know, it was, it was okay. I just, I just had bad vision and needed glasses. And, um, then, you know, kind of, uh, worked my way, uh, through school and into, um, doing some radio. I did radio for quite, for quite a few years, did an AOR, uh, stint in the Bay area in California, uh, ran a afternoon drive time there and then got whisked away into uh, working for Atari, uh, where I made a whole bunch of games for them, uh, started out doing the testing of it and then just kind of moved into actually making the games. Um, and then I worked for another uh, company called Accolade and made some games for them and ended up working for a toy company called Mattel Toys, which I'm sure you've all heard of. Yes. And um, I was the director of product development for their Hot Wheels division. So anyway, I was the director of product development for, for Hot Wheels. And then we, uh, at the height of my career, we got into a car accident and mm. uh, everything from the surgeries earlier in my life kind of shifted to where it wasn't supposed to be. Um, so I ended up with no light perception in my left eye or sorry, my right eye. And in my left eye, I have uh, 95% loss with just a little bit of light perception. So I can see some shapes, most of it's blurry. Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much me. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, did you know that Hot Wheels has a Braille car now? Uh, yes, I did. Yeah, that's very cool. Was that any influence of yours by any it chance? It is not. <laughs> okay. No, that was all before my time. Okay. So did you do a lot of traveling before you lost your vision? I did. I traveled so much. So I worked as um, an external developer uh, relations manager. So I was a, basically the guy that oversaw the um, the development of all aspects of a game's production. So uh, from actual you know design of the game all the way up into you know um, creation, and then I even tested you know sometimes. Um, so a lot of the companies that made those games were out out of house. Um, so I was traveling to the UK from. Um, the U.S. and a lot of times in, in France and Germany, um, which meant that I, you know, built up a lot of air miles and was able to travel for myself in between titles. So we, you know, have the big push to finish a title. And then I was able to travel and, and you know, kind of do some leisure time with that. Um, and then, you know, right after the, the, the car accident, um, you know, I just I was done. I, I didn't travel by myself anymore. And I was just, you know really depressed about where things were because I had lost this awesome career and, and um, wasn't traveling and that kind of stuff. So 
And, you know, I, I, I basically did nothing until my, until I got my guide dog and then kind of resurfaced my interest in travel and uh, started kind of going everywhere. So it, it really, she really gave me the, the um, inspiration and independence to be able to do what I needed to do when it comes to travel. When you traveled for pleasure before you lost your sight, um, were you kind of into historical sites, museums, um, I don't know, resort type, tra- like what, what kind of traveler were you? Because I just want to compare to like, are you interested in the same types of things now? Um, gotcha. Yeah. Anyway, paint a picture for us. Like what kind of traveler were you before? I would say that pretty much anywhere tropical, you know, after sitting in a, in a cubicle for, you know, 11 months out of a year mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, traveling to, you know, a dingy little developer house and, and sitting there, I was ready to, to move on to doing, you know, more tropical climates. Um, but, you know, I've always had a very strong interest in, you know, the history of an area that I did. So I would always, you know, at that time, Time, uh, do a whole bunch of research on you know the the population and and you know all of the information that I could find about a location before I went there and I think that's that's kind of what transitioned me into doing the whole uh, blind travels website and you know that that love of research and finding out everything that I could possibly find out before I landed in a in a destination you know. Um, so, so blindtravels.com has been around for a while and uh, it originally came out of a huge notebook of information that I had about um, kind of uh, cheat sheets for locations that I went to. So every time I went to a hotel, um, specifically after my, my car accident, um, I would make notes of, you know, where the check-in desk was and where the pool was and where, you know, restaurants were from the lobby and, and that sort of thing. Um, just kind of giving myself, you know, a lay of the land for each of the places that I went to. And after, after I lost the site and started doing, um, the website, all of that information transitioned into reviews of and informational articles on the actual properties that, that I had visited and that I, you know, have visited since. Um, I also do a lot of educational articles on um, kind of interfacing with people who are partially sighted and it's kind of aimed towards the travel and hospitality industries um, because I really think that they don't have a lot of experience dealing with people who are partially sighted. Mm-hmm. So that's actually really interesting that you say that. So my background uh, in terms of education is tourism management and uh, in tour- like uh, Destination Canada, there's a uh, this thing called like the explorer quotient so we kind of like ask people like what is your what is your profile you know and that kind of like ties into like do are you you know to, to break it down it's like oh do you like backpacking versus resorts versus you know um uh, more of a try to homestay sort of situation where you get to be really more immersed in the culture um and and i was just curious like what you kind of mentioned your preference but like what uh, kind of travel do you have you preferred to do most and with the other uh, visually impaired folks that you kind of talk to for your website are they different types of travelers so say maybe you like um but if you like resorts and if you're talking to a backpacker for example yeah love love resorts um haven't done much in the way of backpacking um i love to do any anything um in the way of activities and that sort of stuff like um going to um 
uh, Maui and, you know, riding down Mount Haleakala on a, on a crazy bike that has these huge brakes on it was a, you know, oh. one of the highlights that I had before I lost my sight. Um, you know, so I, I love to do any, anything like that. Um, I, we, we scuba dove for years and years. My wife and I have a, a, a combined uh, amount of 500 hours under, under the water. So we've, we've been all over the place, you know, uh, diving and that sort of stuff. Um, so, and I guess that's kind of why the, the transitioning to doing more of the resort stuff, but we've also done a lot of like, you know, specialty trips where we, um, just went and, and landed on an Island in the Bahamas and stayed there the whole week and kind of explored every square inch of the, of the ocean around the Island and, and that sort of stuff. So it's, you know, def definitely a lot of uh, tropical climates in the past of my, my uh, traveling. Is your website more of a, like, is, would you say it's kind of a compilation of resources? It is. It, it is. And like every time I go to a, to a hotel, then like, you know, I, like I mentioned, I definitely put down where the, the check-in desk is and where all of the, the property um, amenities are and that sort of thing. Um, but I also try very hard to, to put in, down information about where uh, things are outside of the property. So if you're going outside the, the front lobby, um, making notes, whether there's one or two doors, you know, or, or more doors going out of the, the main lobby area. Um, and then, important things like, I don't know, like Starbucks or whatever, mm -hmm. so that you know exactly, um, you know, how far they are from the, from the lobby of the hotel, you know? Well, and you have a guy, you have a guide dog now, correct? I do. Yeah. yeah. yeah just I, I heard them shaking. So you would, there would be differences. I'm assuming, do you kind of, do you consider like a cane user and a guide dog handler and um, in the way that you write your directions and stuff like that? Very, very much so. Um, yeah. And I've also got a lot of experience dealing with um, other organizations who have a lot of mobility impaired people. So I try to also mention while I'm I'm not a mobility impaired uh, specialist by any stretch, um, I kind of understand, you know, at least the areas, uh, you know, that they require people that are that are in wheelchairs anyway, um, require to navigate like a room or a lobby or something like that. So I always try to make notes of that as well. But yeah, I always come at it from a perspective of guide dog user and cane user. Um, and, and I think that, you know, as far as the guide dog goes and, you know, of course, talking about where the relieving areas are and oh, stuff like that. And, yeah. and, and that's one of those cans. things that it's just, it's just not available, you know? Yeah. Yes. And the garbage cans, that's a really good one. Indeed. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, wow. Okay. This is great. Now I feel like I'm hogging the floor a little bit here. So. <laughs> well, Keisha is just full of good questions. Yeah. Um, and so obviously you've mentioned like, there's quite a difference between, your travel before losing your sight and your travel after. Um, and so I was wondering, um, do you think having a lot of travel experience kind of ahead of time um, made it easier for you? Or do you think it made it harder to then adapt? And what are like the biggest barriers you still run into um, either you personally or that you feel like the community runs into? I, I definitely would say that it, it was a help in, in many ways because I had been to a lot of the airports that I, you know, travel to now, like Portland and that sort of stuff. Um, but I, I think that there's a big difference between, you know, being 
I wouldn't say, you know, perfect sight by any stretch when I was younger and, and traveling for work, but, you know, being well enough to, to, you know, to travel and do the things that I need to be able to do, you know, on my own now uh, compared to now um, where, you know, you, you, you kind of get crossed between, you know, I remember approximately where the, you know, the restaurants are and that sort of stuff in the, in the concourse that I'm in um, now. So, I mean, that, that may or may not lead to confusion, especially when I'm trying to remember uh, um, rest area uh, uh airport that i've been to i mean mm-hmm. you know it's 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 frustrating it can be and now trying to find like the the dog relieving areas and that sort of stuff before we get on the plane so i mean that that adds you know kind of another level of complexity to traveling oh yeah absolutely um well you mentioned that like when you first started out traveling again after like losing you know a significant portion of your site after the accident um that you weren't doing so much solo traveling, but have you done um, any solo traveling since? Oh my gosh, yes, lots, so much. Um, I, I would say that the I, um, I I think I kind of smoothed back into doing the solo traveling um, by taking a train trip, and uh, I live in Denver now, so uh, I took a trip on Amtrak uh, between here and California, and um, you know it's about a thirty-three hour ride, so it was one of those things where you know I had to. I had to find it, it. I guess it was like a trial by fire because I had to find out where I needed to be, what platform I needed to be on. And I guess trains are not necessarily notoriously well known for uh, looking out for people who are partially sighted or have a cane and, and they're looking to, you know, to get from point A to point B um, compared to airports. Right. So it's it was definitely, you know, a, a, a bit of a learning experience for me. But, um, you know, I, I did that trip solo there uh, and, and had a really great time. Um, the porter. Uh, that was in my car was terrified of service animals. He had only experienced um, uh, fraudulent service animals He's, uh, <laughs> oh, no. with chihuahuas that were that bit him, and uh, so I felt I felt really bad. And um, my my guide dog, who's a, a wonderful black lab named Fauna, um, during the thirty three hours, she definitely charmed him. And at the end, he said, "You know, uh, can I give her a hug?" You know, and and she yeah. was, you know, absolutely willing to do that. So she's she's always good at kind of you know spreading the good word about guide dogs. <laughs> That's always great. It's kind of a sad thing that I I think both Canada and the U.S. train systems have significantly like decreased over the years. And even oh my in gosh, yes, my lifetime uh, when I was a four year old, um, so. I am from a small town about six hours drive north of the Vancouver area in BC. And our eye specialist was in Vancouver. And so every year, every six months for a while, but every year we had to come down for eye appointments. And one year we went on the train and I I can remember a tiny bit of it, but I was four, right? So obviously you're not going to remember much. And I actually really want to do a like cross Canada train trip, but it's obviously quite expensive and it also requires like a few different like train transitions yes um and uh, like i said i'm on the higher end of the spectrum of of vision loss but if i went entirely by myself i would still have quite a bit of anxiety about connections and signs and and where am i supposed to be and and i 
I have anxiety just about everywhere I go. I, I'm absolutely, you know, sometimes when I'm going somewhere, if I'm, I, I was just recently uh, in Portland, um, I was speaking at a, one of the retro gamer conferences there. They, they, these companies drag me all over the place to talk about my time in the games industry. And, you know, most of the time it's to airports that I've never been to. And, and, you know, that's for me, that's just terrifying. You know, you're, you're going and you have to, you have to rely on people to kind of help you get to where you need to be or you know, apps like, you know, be my eyes and that sort of stuff. Um, which are which are really great, you know, and um, I think it, it really comes down to teaching yourself to be comfortable to ask for help. And that was one of the things that, you know, when I first started traveling solo, um, asking for help wasn't something that I was really comfortable with. And talking about vision loss, my specifically my vision loss wasn't something that I was really comfortable about. And it took me quite a few years to kind of get over that and, and to just, you know, not be afraid to talk about it. And, you know, now I'm, I'm up talking with people all the time and, and talking about art. Um, I'm a, I'm a photographer, even though I have almost no sight. Um, after my, uh, after my car accident, I went back to school and finished my degree in photography. Um, and I'm going mm-hmm. back now to see you Boulder here in, in Colorado. And, uh, I'm going to trying to finish my degree so that I can teach a different way to see you know, the world through the, the lens of the camera. Uh, And, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things that, you know, seems kind of crazy, but that's a a passion that I've always had. And um, something that, that the tiny, tiny amount of vision that I have left, I can still do it at the, at the moment for now. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to like, okay, let's say you get to a hotel. (laughs) I've had this experience where, um, I'm in a hotel and, you know, everything, say it's a conference, so everything's kind of happening within the hotel. Um, The idea of venturing out, what if I can't find my way back? How do I know what's around me? Like, how do you tackle all of that? Like, you're going to want to leave your hotel room. (laughs) Yeah, for me, again, that that comes down to research, like like I said before, and, and a lot of times I'll, excuse me, I'll actually go on uh, Google Maps you know, with my wife and, and mm-hmm. have her, you know, be the, okay, she's, she's telling me, you know, I'm, I'm walking about half a block down to get to, you know, a restaurant or to a coffee shop or whatever. Um, and, and just kind of doing the lay of the land via Google maps or, or another service. Okay. And, um, you know, then just having copious notes for everything that I do, you know, I've mm-hmm. got, I've got notes in my phone for everywhere I'm at. So, I mean, I'm, and I'm, of course, I always carry a compass with me and I've always got my phone. So I know which way is north and I know, you know, which way I'm, I can you know go because I'm, I'm good at directions. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's always been a big thing for me again, just to, to make sure I research and, and know exactly where everything is around me. But yes, it's right. terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> well, what would you say are some of the most like accessible and blind friendly places you've been to? Yeah. Like, well, I'll start with inaccessible, and I would I would say that most of uh, U.S.'s national parks are terrible. Hmm. Yeah, so like Rocky Mountain National Park and uh, Yellowstone and uh, Yosemite, and I mean, just you, you name it, um, they're they're terrible. They have no guardrails, and they're they're just really really bad. Um, it's really funny, but one of the places that was really amazing was a trip last year we took to Jamaica. And um, I just absolutely fell in love with the Jamaican people probably 30 years ago when I was traveling there, but I hadn't been back since I lost my sight. And 
I tell you, there is they they get it. They understand the person that's wearing that that has the white cane. Um, they will absolutely walk up to you and they will they will do everything proper to say, "Can I take your arm? Can I tell you where you're at? Are you looking for something?" They're like really really good about making sure that you know where you are on the resort. You know, are you looking for this amenity or whatever? Um, and I just I found that. You know, I thought, okay, well, maybe that's just that one couple's resort that we went to. But since then, we've been back a couple of more times and and found that the Jamaican people are just amazing with understanding blindness. So for me, that was that was like the big thing. That's awesome. I'm writing that down. (laughs) 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 Kind of collecting a list of places that I want to go and experiences I want to have. Yeah, I'm excited to dive more into your website, too, and just have Mm -hmm. a look here. Yeah, if you have suggestions, please let me know. I'm always always looking for feedback. I'm always looking to to connect with people and and you know go to new places. Um, I've had a, a ton of properties come out and have me take a look at their properties and and try to figure out how we can make them more accessible and make it you know much much easier and safer for people who are partially sighted to to travel not only the grounds but in the the actual property itself. Hi there, listeners. I just wanted to interrupt to tell you how much we appreciate you, but we really want to get our message out there to as many people as possible. So if you are enjoying this podcast, please help us by sharing, liking, subscribing, leave us a rating, and we are so grateful to you for listening each week. And now back to this episode. So a bit of a segue, like um, you... Like, what is your experience with language barriers? Um, do you have you? How do you kind of navigate that? Do you speak any other languages? I do not. Nope, just English. <laughs> um, I speak a little bit of Native American. Um, I, I'm Comanche tribe, but other than that, uh, not enough to be you know useful for anything. So um, I just I generally go through um, and and hope for the best, um, you know, and and try to get across. Um, specifically for uh, language barriers that, you know, what I'm looking for and that sort of thing. But for me, I find that that people who um, know or see that you have a, a white cane or a guide dog uh, generally tend to be more willing to help you than, you know, if you were just a normal traveler. Mm. So, but no, I haven't really had much in the way of, uh, of language issues. Okay, that's good. Um, I'm just thinking of an experience when I was, I was traveling from Athens to Scotland and by myself and I, you know, you get assistance in the airport and they, I was in Athens, so there's, they're not always speaking English and they put me in a waiting area because I had some hours to kill between flights. And I think it was like their staff room. So everybody was like, nobody was speaking English. It was kind of the middle of the night. They were just talking to each other. No one was really talking to me. They were smoking because you could do that there. I wasn't enjoying myself and I wanted to get up and wander around, but I wasn't sure (laughs) if I'd be able to find my way back. And this is where they put me and this is where I'm supposed to stay until it's time to take me to my next (laughs) gate. So like, have you ever had that? Because I felt like I couldn't really ask anybody for anything. Um, because they weren't speaking English. Have you ever had? 
I'm, I'm really good about if I'm going to be stuck someplace, you know, for a layover, I'm always really good about, uh, you know, trying to to figure out where like the restrooms are and that sort of stuff and, and you know, where the food is. And then I generally will track my my steps. Um, so I know if I if I don't have my guide dog, that is mm-hmm. um, not that you can find a bathroom, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> that, that sort of thing. Um, I, I generally try to just track my steps and make sure that I know where I'm going. And again, if I if I have my phone to make sure that I know which which direction I'm heading, um, I mean, it, it, it all becomes just, you know, constantly taking notes and constantly kind of not necessarily just memorizing because I've got a terrible memory, mm-hmm. um, but using the the notes app in my phone and just making sure that I that I track everything. But, you know, uh, when somebody does deposit me in an area, especially I've, I've been in a similar situation where they've stuffed me into a, a staff room. They weren't smoking because it was in the U.S. But um, I you know, the first thing that I that I always ask is, you know, where the facilities are and where the where the closest restaurant is and stuff like that, because they tend to definitely forget you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, I know like for me, um, so I had a very similar experience to Sean in the Japanese airport. And yeah. I was actually really excited to to explore the Japanese airport because they have a lot of really interesting accessibility features that I was really looking forward to exploring. And I had uh, about a 10, you know, a 12 hour layover. Yeah. And, um, and I was going to do some sleeping too. That was a big part of the plan. Um, but... <laughs> But I was just like, yeah, and it was, I, I was really excited because I figured out, you know, Google Translate and I was getting pretty good at using it from my time in Vietnam, uh, just like kind of fiddling around with it. And then uh, <laughs> when I was in the Japanese airport, I could not for the life of me connect the internet. So I couldn't oh, no. use Google Translate and I didn't download <sighs> Japanese um in time like before i left and it didn't it didn't fully download so i was like so it was it was really really tricky and and they were like so kind of freaked out about my blindness and i was like oh gosh like if i do one thing wrong it's gonna really stress these guys out Uh, (laughs) that's pretty common though right yeah yeah so i was like i'm just gonna calm down and i'm gonna let them deposit me like this spot and then hopefully i'll be able to maybe sneak away sneakily (laughs) (laughs) and did you because 10 to 12 hours that's a long time to be sat somewhere i went and napped i they they they, i kind of was able to sort of be like hey i want to go sleep in a room like a room a day room and they were like okay okay we figured it out and then yeah so i went and stayed in a in a room for like six hours and then i kind of kind of snuck around a little bit after that but um (laughs) but yeah (laughs) kind of it's it's such a nerve-wracking experience and like that was probably the first time I'd I'd ever like dealt with a language barrier by myself and uh because the other when I was in Vietnam I was with my friend and and so you know we we would help each other out right and um and yes this is like the first time where I was like wow this is what it feels like to not at all really know what each other is trying to say like fully mm-hmm. and i was like this is this is such an interesting experience <laughs> it's kind of funny because i did kind of run away from my gate <laughs> um so i recently went with uh, extended family to mexico to a resort and uh my mother is uh visually impaired she has the same condition i do and uh, which is it, relatively rare in the blind community to have multiple generations in the same family or direct you know direct generations anyways and so uh, the staff were all fantastic and my mom and my stepdad were there for two weeks most of us were only there for a week and so you know they already had a had 
made friends with all the staff you needed to know and everybody. And, um, but on the return through the airport, so this is the Cancun International Airport, I did actually take a couple semesters of Spanish recently in college. So I have a little bit there, at least on the language front. And when I travel like through like a big busy place like that, I do use a white cane because it's kind of like a, a bit of a safety blanket of like, sorry, security. I don't know who's where you're calling me from or where I'm supposed to go. Or if I'm standing in the middle of the hallway trying to find a sign, people are less likely to be upset with you. That TSA kind of stuff. is always fun, right? Oh yeah. And well, I mean, I will also take the occasional perk of getting shunted through like the crew security line where there's only two people ahead of you or zero. Yep. <laughs> you know? That's nice. Yes. Um, but so on my way back, I, I got kind of separated from the rest of my family because I got shunted through the empty line, which I'm not complaining about. And I always locate my gate or wherever I'm supposed to be first. Where's the nearest bathroom? Kind of like what Ted was just saying, you know, where's the, where's the food after that? And can I get back to where I'm supposed to be in time? Yep. And of course uh, the gate agents are there and I'm just like, Hey, I'm just checking. This is still the right gate. I'm at the right place for this flight. And they're like, Oh yes, yes. You know, and actually because it was, um, I think because it was Air Canada, they had to be able to speak English and French. I, mm -hmm. I for, kind of forgot for a week when I was in Mexico, right? And then you get back to the airport and you get hello, bonjour right away. Right. <laughs> Pretty funny. And, um, you know, so they were trying to be very nice, but like, you know, you can sit here and wait and everything. I'm just like, oh, no, you know, don't don't wait for me. I'm probably going to disappear at some point <laughs> and just, you know, so I went off to the bathroom and then. I got waylaid by my family halfway somewhere around the corner on the way back. We went off to eat. And so I'm kind of like, I hope they're not like worried. Panicking. I never came back. How did you find the accessibility in Mexico? Did you, did you have any issues? Um, it's a little tricky for me to say from my perspective, because again, I'm, I use the cane, but not a hundred percent for like real mobility purposes, I guess. Gotcha. Um, so it's i thought it was pretty good overall again the the resort staff were were lovely and fabulous and there was one uncomfortable thing with a particular restaurant manager one time but it worked out in the long run and <laughs> didn't spoil the rest of the week so um and as far as i could tell because there was a couple in our or the whole group was like i think about 20 people total so some of them were my relatives friends as well and so i don't know them personally but there was a few different mobility abilities in the group and as far as i could tell for you know anyone in a wheelchair it would also seem to be fine from from the door of the airport through to into the into the plane so and uh yeah Excellent. no priority boarding everything worked lovely no no rush or you know i think we got delayed 20 minutes which i don't even count as a delay <laughs> <laughs> So I just wanted to, I just want to ask another question. I just wanted to kind of gauge um, if you've encountered any significant cultural differences um, in your travels, and and especially to those that um, kind of pertain to blindness being viewed very differently. I, I would say that uh, specifically, we, uh, the reason I was asking about Mexico is because I actually have two resorts in, in the last two years. We've, we've been there uh, three times and uh, I have two resorts that I have decided not to do reviews on because they are so negative. And that was, oh. that was why I was kind of curious. I'm not going to name the names of course, but um, I, I, 
was curious, um, you know, how you found the accessibility, Randy, because uh, I found it to be pretty abysmal. It didn't seem like there was a lot of like for partially sighted people, the stairs in, in any of the resorts that I've been to uh, haven't been marked very well. The staff um, specifically were not really good about dealing with or understanding the fact that you couldn't see the menu. Um, mm. There was a, a language barrier there as far as, you know, me not speaking Spanish very well, um, mm. you know, just just a bit. And, um, you know, them, you know, kind of pointing to the menu and, and you know, not really understanding that I couldn't see the menu. And, and so I was just I was just curious, you know, what your experiences were. But I, I would say that, you know, specifically Mexico was was kind of my kind of bummer area, you know. <laughs> yeah, you definitely reminded me of the stair situation that I, I forgot about. But um, so like we actually are our shuttle bus pulled up to the hotel from the airport and the it's already night at this point and I don't do well in the dark as or as well, I should say. Yeah. And it's also very humid this particular day. So my glasses are kind of permanently fogged for, yep. for now. So I really quite can't see for my usual amounts. And the whole um, entranceway is like, I kind of like a four level driveway with like three or four stairs in between each level. Uh -huh. And there is, I think it's actually grip tape, so it's not intended for a marking, but it kind right. of does mark the edge somewhat. So there's like a dark line kind of on top of like light colored stone or whatever. And it was it was not good. And also in certain like um, snack bar locations and stuff, there's one time I was coming back from the snack counter to the table and forgot that there was this one step drop off to the continued kind of patio. But because of Mexico, everything's open. There's no door frame or kind of reminder indicator and there was also a puddle as it happened right where i stepped into and i i i didn't even drop that much food and thankfully i didn't like you know wreck a knee or an ankle or something and it wasn't wouldn't have been a staff's fault or you know i think beyond marking the edge um would be the fix from the resort side and, and you know when i say there was a puddle that wasn't their fault or anything like that they hadn't pushed that up um and kind of ironically my brother my older brother actually works for the rick hansen foundation up here and uh, is an accessibility inspector ah. and so he travels around a bunch of places to different organizations companies buildings stuff like that to you know literally assess like do, are the hallways, doorways, bathrooms wide enough? Is there braille on some signs and elevators? Do you have ramps where you need them? Kind of stuff like that. And so his like in accessibility mode was like on high <laughs> at this resort. <laughs> yeah, I found the same thing most most definitely in the the places that I've been to recently and and in the past too. But I, I wasn't as um, cognizant of. I've been to Mexico a million times, but but not as many times after I've lost my sight, but, um, definitely if you're, if you're mobility impaired and you, you need, you know, a walker or, or a wheelchair or whatever, the sidewalks and a lot of the, the ramps and that sort of stuff are, are in a bad or, or yeah. middling state of disrepair, especially at these resorts. And, um, but, but that doesn't mean that the staff isn't more than willing to like, you know, have a guy grab each arm of your wheelchair and, and drag you onto the beach kind of thing. You know, it's that I saw that so many times, you know, and, and they're just totally willing to, to help however they can, but the, the resorts themselves are just kind of in a, a poor state of disrepair. 
I'm curious if you've done cruises and how do you, how accessible have you found that experience? Uh, we were just recently on um, a Caribbean cruise or a, a Royal Caribbean cruise to uh, Mexico. And it seems like I go to Mexico a lot, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we were in, uh, we were in Disney and actually there's reviews coming uh, on the website um, in the next couple of weeks, but we were um, at Disney and that's, that's definitely kind of a, a you know, a, an animal all its own as far as accessibility goes, oh, but, yes. uh, you know, cruises as far as like, uh, pets go or are not pets, but, uh, service animals, you know, it's kind of far and out of the way for the relieving areas for them. And, um, I would say that, that, you know, the, the recent cruises that I've been on specifically, we, we did princess, we did carnival and we did uh, Royal Caribbean that, uh, the staff there, because I, I'm assuming because they're mostly an international staff, um, are not as, uh, cognizant of people who have vision impairments and specifically if you're whether you're walking with a guide dog or whether you're just using a cane um, they seem to be a little a little aloof and not not quite as um, cognizant of, of people who might need help getting to a specific part of the ship mm -hmm. so and there's lots of stairs so and there's and and that's one of the things that you know there's there's uh, you know levels and levels and levels of stairs that all feel the same and all act the same. So unless, unless you're really good about knowing, you know, how many you need to go up and, mm -hmm. and really good at, at tracking that, um, that's one of the ones that it's, that's really easy to get lost. Cause I always take the stairs. I generally don't take the elevators because I like the exercise. Um, but you know, that's just me. I'm crazy. Oh, it's easier to know where you are too. I feel sure. like if you get in an elevator, who knows yep. how many floors you moved up or down or, well, right. the elevators that, you know, specifically on the Royal Caribbean ones have announcements for, for what floor you're oh, on, which is always really cool. nice. So as long as you know which direction you're headed coming out of yeah. the elevator, you know, that's <laughs> right. that's always a, a you know a challenge in itself. So. What about food? Like, I'm assuming it's like a buffet situation on a cruise or, you know, you whether getting... it's a resort or whether it's a cruise, buffets are just painful. Right. And, yeah. and if mm -hmm. you're if you're by yourself, I mean, recent when I was in uh, Portland, we were doing uh, several places that had buffets there and I didn't have the crutch of having my wife, who is fully sighted, obviously, mm -hmm. um, to to let me know, you know, what was on there. So, um, again, it, it became me forcing myself to ask. Yeah. and and forcing myself to be comfortable with that and saying you know i can't really see what's going on here and then you know one of the things you know if you're if you are partially sighted you understand about reaching out and grabbing the tongs for for whatever it is and not knowing exactly where they are and that's always a pain because you never know whether they're at the bottom you know on a little plate or whatever or in the dish because somebody always leaves them in the mm -hmm. in the shaper or whatever so it's just one of those things that you know is buffets are always a challenge no matter where, where you go <laughs> I fully agree. Yeah, I think we yeah. most of us agree that they're awful. Yes. I think we found that in Mexico too, because even as the sometimes the more sighted of the people, you know, then trying to guide someone through yeah. and not and serve for two people and and account for well, what do you like? What do you, what do I want? I, I don't know what half this stuff is because um they would have little tent signs with the name of the thing on it and usually in Spanish, which was fine for me at least. But then also I think as they, you know, a dish would empty, they would replace it with something else. And it was not often, it was not the thing that the little sign said. Right. <laughs> and, and definitely no Braille. Yeah. <laughs> that'd be such uh, a dream. Now I want to make a Braille buffet. Like, oh, <laughs> that'd be so great. 
Maybe I'll try to do that one day. <laughs> where everybody's actually required to put the serving utensils where they're supposed to go. Yes. <laughs> and there's a little sign in front of each bowl that, yes. you know, closest to the person. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> and a name awesome. and, and a description, too. Because even when there's yes. a name, unless yes. you know the word rice and chicken or something like that, you don't really know what the name of that thing is, whether it was French or, you know, mm-hmm. Italian cuisine. If you don't know what it is, you don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I would say that if I'm not looking at a, an adventure for a buffet, I will definitely steer towards the the restaurants that are more sit down and order off of the menu kind of thing. So, yeah, that's a safe, safer approach. Yeah. Um, do you have what advice would you have for a person who's blind who maybe hasn't, you know, wants to wants to try traveling solo? Like how where do you start or do you have any sort of tips to get started or I guess check out your your website would be a good start to <laughs> do some well, research. I, well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, yeah, <laughs> that, that's fine too. Um, yeah. I, w- I would say first and foremost is is to try to figure out what it is that you want to do, right? So, I mean, if you want to take a cruise or if you want to, you know, go to a location that, that you've always wanted to do, um, then, you know, start with doing all of your research. Mm-hmm. And once you've done your research and you've made the decision where you want to go, then you have to figure out how you're going to fund it. Because that's always the next thing for me, course, right? Is trying yeah. to figure out how I'm going to, you know, get the money together to travel. And for me, I always use the points cards, right? So I use, um, you know, a, a, again, I won't mention a name, but I, I use a credit card that has points that, that can be transferred uh, to several different um, travel providers, whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, for cruising uh, for Princess or for, you know, travel to go on, you know, American Airlines or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's the the first thing is is figure out where you want to go. Second thing is try to figure that out. And, you know, obviously saving and making sure that you're not bending the budget by by traveling um and making sure that you're comfortable and and always looking at that budget and knowing that wherever you're going to go is going to be more than what you're intended so you're going to get to some place and there's always going to be the thing you want to buy or the trip that you want to do and and that sort of stuff and you know one of the the biggest things is to actually call ahead if you're going to go to like a place like london or you know wherever um like a big city and you want to do one of the tours that's going to be one of your best bets right but I always call ahead and I always talk to the tour people that, you know, that, that op- talk to the people that operate the tour and say, have you have any, do you have any experience with people who are partially sighted? Um, because when you're on a cruise uh, or sorry, when you're on a tour and you're cruising down the, the street and they're saying, okay, if you look over here, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to see this building, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to help me. Right. And anybody mm-hmm. else that's partially sighted is not going to help either. So if, if they understand that, you know, on our left is a building and maybe even a little bit of description about that building, it's an older building. It's, it's, you know, made of bricks and blah, 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 blah. And yeah. then give the history of the building that it makes so much, it makes such a huge difference for people who cannot see that are on, on those tours. Um, so that's, that's, that's kind of my, my, you know, kind of getting started advice is, you know, figure out where you want to go, do all your research, figure out the money and then make those calls, you know, and, and if you, if you call up a hotel and let them know that you're going to be there and let them know that, that you are partially sighted and it would be really awesome if they could be there to help you get to your room, because when you check into a hotel, and you don't know necessarily where the elevators are and you don't necessarily know which direction your room is when you get out of the elevators. You have somebody that can tell you and kind of give you that, you know, heads up to where you're at. It will set you on the path of success for that hotel from the get-go. 
Mm. Yeah. And you, like the wandering the halls, looking for a room with all your luggage, not, not so fun. <laughs> yeah. But calling ahead, I found in so many places are willing to do that. And it's such a great service. Right. And then they're kind of aware of you, right? Yep. So when they see you coming out later, they're more likely to probably approach and say, do you need some assistance or where are you sure. headed? Yeah. That's so funny. As a little side thing, like I do a lot of adventure sports, uh, like big hiking trips and, and things like that. And, uh, Sometimes I, I've had, I've had a couple of situations where I've been denied because they're like, oh, you're blind. This is going to be hard for you. So it's made me show up without letting them know, because I know I can do it. I'm just like, I'm going to figure this out. So you're going to let me do this and pay for this tour. Like (laughs) (laughs) that actually touches on something I wanted to ask Ted about. And I actually have two questions. They're not related to each other, but, um, so what Keisha was just saying about kind of being denied access based on someone else's opinion of your ability, in this case, based on vision, um, this is a bit more of a negative aspect, maybe, of being blind in general, but blind traveling, especially if you're by yourself. Um, I wondered what you, um, not so much what you think, but I have seen a couple of articles, and I know you did a post about one of them, about um, blind cruisers being removed from the cruise ships, citing safety uh, reasons, essentially. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things, right? And the problem, you know, I one of the things that I mentioned earlier was, you know, it, it all sounds well and good to call ahead and let the the hotel or the cruise line or whatever know that you're gonna that you're gonna be there, but at the end of the day, when you set foot in that hotel or when you you know step on that cruise ship, the person that you talk to on the phone is not more than likely not the person that is actually going to be telling right. you whether or not you should be on that cruise or in that on that uh, uh, or in that hotel. And and communication is education, and and really you know, being able to communicate and really being able to explain what you need and what you can and can't see and, and where you need help navigating their property, um, is just invaluable, you know, from, from the get-go. And, and that particular story that you were talking about was the, the two women from uh, the UK that were asked to, to leave because of safety. It just, it, it seemed so completely insane. And it's the first time I've ever, I've ever seen that, but I would say that, that, I wasn't necessarily surprised because again, there's, there's a lot of people that, you know, as we talked about earlier on in the podcast here, that, that just don't have a lot of experience working with people who are partially sighted. And a lot of times the easiest way for, for them to deal with it is just to, to not deal with it or to ask them, ask you to, to move on, you know? And of course, one could argue that, you know, lots of people drink sometimes excessively on cruises. Would that not be a safety concern? But no, because they're cited and I'm taking a devil's advocate or maybe the opposite. I don't know what I'm. um, It's a double standard. Yeah. 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 And um, obviously, like, you know, like, for example, on planes and even going back to you mentioning, you know, accessibility in flying is a lot better than in trains, for example. Um, Obviously. So I know like when they're filling, you know, when they're boarding the plane, they place able-bodied passengers in the emergency exit rows. And that makes total sense. You need to be able to see if there's a fire outside the door. You need to be able to physically open the door. You need to not be blocking the way if you can't move your legs, you know? And so that obviously fully understandable, but what, you know, in in this kind of context of a cruise, like, well, are we not any more or less safety concerns than any other person on this ship? 
Well, and, and I would also say that, that people who have issues with, with uh, people who have, you know, partial sight, um, specifically with guide dogs, you know, when you're on a plane, if I'm traveling by myself, um, you know, my guide dog is sitting at my feet and sometimes she stretches out and sometimes people don't like dogs. You know, that I'm always very, very aware that, um, you know, sometimes people have had poor experiences with pups and that can lead to to fear. And and I always try to do everything I can do to to kind of quell that. But, you know, uh, it, it would be really nice to be able to sit in an exit row because it would give my guide plenty of room. But, you know, she's mm-hmm. she's actually really good about, you know, the the act of being stuffed under the seat in front of me, you know, so she's she's OK with tight spaces and that sort of stuff. And and I think that's one of the, the things that um, people who are looking at travel that maybe don't travel a lot, especially if they have a guide dog. And that's to make sure that you keep your training up, right? To make sure that the dogs are okay being stuffed into a small area, make sure that the dogs are specifically okay to relieve wherever you need them to relieve. So if you need them to relieve in in the place at the airport, cool. I mean, that's fine. A million other dogs have gone there. That's not a big deal usually, but if you get into a hotel situation where they don't have grass, then you have to make sure that your guide is okay going on concrete, you know, or asphalt or whatever. And that's one of those things that you you really need to kind of look forward if you're planning a trip with your guide um, to make sure that they're comfortable with that because it just makes everything easier. Yeah. Um, and so I'm going to pivot back a little bit back to a bit more positive sides and hopefully, and also to when you were talking about taking tours, um, so in the same uh, interesting internet search where I came across your blog in the first place, I also came across a company, a, a couple of companies that are travel companies uh, specifically aimed towards people with visual impairments or totally blind. Um, and I wondered if you've ever heard of them or dealt with them or what you think about them. And I'll give you a bit more detail than that. Um, one is called Travel Eyes. And one I saw was called Mind's Eye Travel. And the they're both uh, kind of curated itinerary tours. Um, and the Travel Eyes one, it seems as if you can just book with whatever random tour group. You can be sighted or blind and you can join the same kind of tour group. And the other one, I think it was more of a, we have dedicated staff and not just some of our travelers are also providing some guiding services and stuff like that. And so, you know, obviously from my view, I think that's pretty cool um, and a pretty good idea because if they're, if it's dedicated towards the, a particular audience, then they're going to pick activities and places and things more accessible to that audience. I, I completely agree. And, um, you know, while most of my articles and, and uh, my reviews are geared towards independent travel as opposed to group travel, um, I think that that, you know, if you're if you're looking to get into travel, that is definitely something uh, that is worthwhile taking a look at. I haven't experienced either um, either of those organizations. Definitely would like to try it, mm-hmm. uh, but but haven't done that. But the the beauty about that is that you know, like I mentioned earlier, when you're looking at where you're going to be or where you're going, and you're making those calls ahead of time or throwing out those emails to let people know that you're going to be there these travel companies that that gear themselves towards people who are sight impaired have already done that they have a group of of um you know 
tour companies and, and hotels that they use that are aware, that know that there's people that are coming in. Um, so it can give you a very positive experience and, you know, can be a very good stepping stone to getting into doing, you know, more travel or heading towards solo travel if you're if you're a little worried about doing the solo travel. So, I mean, I kind of see that as the, the the pinnacle of of blind travel when you're just out there and doing it yourself and, and doing mm-hmm. all the research and, you know, you're, you know, just just doing it by yourself. Wow. Well, I've definitely got the itch. It's I haven't traveled in a while. I'm uh, <laughs> I think I want to want to plan something for sure. Thank you so much, Ted, for joining us today and uh, Absolutely. maybe give a plug to your website again. What's the how, how can we find you? Uh, you can find me at uh, www.blindtravels.com. Uh, you can also find me on uh, Twitter or X, I guess it is now, or, uh, you know, any of the other social medias like uh, Instagram at Nedski, N-E-D-S-K-E-E. I also have a Facebook uh, group. It's facebook.com slash blind travels. Awesome. Thank you. You've been listening to Limitless. Please join us next time. This podcast has been brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted, along with their families. Music for this podcast is composed by Sean Bishop and Clement Chow. Production and audio editing by Rob Minot. For more information about Blind Beginnings and the work it does to support children and youth who are blind and partially sighted, along with their families, visit us on the web at www.blindbeginnings.ca. And also remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We thank you for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you next time.